we're finishing up a final lesson from the millennial reign of Christ. Final lesson. Now, many of you had not been here. Some of you come back for the winter time and did not hear the other lessons that I've done on this topic. It started back with the rapture of the church and different views about the rapture of the church. And then we worked into the millennial reign of Christ. And then this is the final lesson. And when pastor asked me to preach today, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I said, I know it's been a long time, but I kind of feel incomplete not finishing this to a close. And so hopefully you're not just tired and of hearing it. It's been a few months, I think, since I've did the first lesson on this, and this will be part two. If you are interested in hearing all the lessons on that, you can go to the church website, and if you just search for, down at the bottom, you can search for uh, sermons by a speaker, and you can just put Chris Barrows in there, and all the sermons that I preach will come up, and all of the ones about the rapture of the church, millennial reign of Christ, will be there, and you can listen through them if you've missed that and want to catch up. And also, I've had a few of you ask me about my slides and, the, and uh, you know, the PowerPoint slides for this, and you wanted those. Uh, I do move a little quickly through this. Sorry. <laughs> but I can print you out my notes for that if you, like, want to go back and you can't write fast enough to get it all, and maybe that'll help you a little bit. You just let me know, and I can get that to you maybe Sunday or something. But please let me know. So a little refresher for those of you that haven't been here. We'll start back, all this ties in, really picking up with the tribulation period, the rapture of the church. The three main views of the rapture of the church are the pre-tribulational view that Christ is going to come back before the tribulation begins, which is the view that we hold to, that we see in Scripture. The second one is the mid-tribulation view, and then, of course, post, meaning that Christ would return at the end of the tribulation period. In short, in summary, we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church because if you look at all the evidence for all the different views and you took it all and you put it in different piles, the pile with the most evidence would end up being the pre-tribulation rapture theory. And also, you don't run into conflicts like you do with the other ones. And so, of course, the rapture of the church, that means all the living uh, believers at that time are out of the world and the seven-year tribulation begins. The man of sin, um, as the Bible describes in Daniel, he comes into play. And the first three and a half years, they're great. After that, of course, the Antichrist really steps in and asserts his authority. There's a lot of battles, a lot of wars, and he asserts his agenda for quite a while. And there's nobody that can stand against the beast. And we do see God working in miraculous ways throughout that time. We do see God's judgment and the seal judgments, the bowl judgments, and the trumpet judgments, and how. The terror, really, that's inflicted on the world during that time. People throughout history have asked, are we in the tribulation? Hard times come, maybe famine comes, maybe disease comes like COVID. And people think in their minds, are we in the tribulation? Just like the church in Thessalonica, they thought that they were in the tribulation. But it wasn't the case. And there was, some, there was a couple things that define the tribulation that sets it apart from all other trouble that happens in the world. I've asked you this, some of you probably remember this. But the two things that make it different from normal trouble that we have in the world is that it's going to be worldwide. This is going to affect the entire world, which is kind of similar to COVID. COVID pretty much affected the entire world. And the tribulation is just going to be way worse than COVID, for sure. And 
it's going to be worldwide. The other thing that separates it is people are going to live their lives like it is the end of the world. They are going to be living their life like it is the end of the world, meaning that people today talk, there's talk of climate change. I see, I just saw a few clips from some protesters, I think it was in the UK, that are blocking streets, sitting down in the middle of the road, holding signs because of climate change and the world is coming to an end. And yes, there are some you know, I would say maybe a small group of people who are really passionate about that and are really acting like the world is going to end in, what they say, 12 years, about two years ago. So we got 10 years left. Is that right? <laughs> Something like that. So it's going to end in 10 years. And they're passionate about it. I mean, enough to stop traffic, to get arrested and get hauled off to jail. But the majority of the world isn't real that concerned about it. I mean, we're still driving four by four trucks. Some of you, you haven't switched over to a diesel, haven't switched over to electric yet. If gas prices go higher, maybe we will. Not sure. But we're not acting like it's the end of the world because it hasn't gotten that bad yet. But during the seven-year tribulation, I mean, it's going to be so bad. People are going to be wanting to die but not be able to. I don't know how that's all going to work out. That's just what the scripture says. And so it gets real bad. And right at the end, there's going to be a big war, Battle of Armageddon. You've heard of it, I'm sure where nations from different parts of the world are going to come over. Nations from the Orient are going to cross over the river Euphrates, which happens uh, the second to the last judgment, and the river dries up. They're able to cross very quickly, and a big battle is about to take place, and right at that time is when Jesus returns. The verse says, when he, shall be, when he shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who know not God and obey not the gospel, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished in everlasting destruction from the presence, from the glory of his power. Thank you. Thank you. Powerful. It's a powerful verse, and he's going to come and set things straight. And there's going to be none that can stand against him. And right at this time in history is about the first time that God has stepped in in that way that no one is going to be able to stand against him. It seems now that Christians are kind of on the bottom. We know that we're on the top, but from the looks of it, it seems like we're on the bottom. But we can rest assured that someday all that's going to be straightened out, and he's going to be victorious. And once that happens, he's going to take the beast and the false prophet. They're going to be cast into the lake of uh, fire, and he's going to take some time uh, wiping out all the rest who oppose him, of the judgment of the sheep and goats leading into the millennial reign of Christ, which is a thousand years. We get that from Revelation chapter 26 times. It's, it references a thousand years, so that's why we know it is a thousand years. And the term millennium is not in the Bible, but we use it, of course, so we have some terminology to describe what we're talking about. And it is going to be a time of peace. That was the last lesson I ended off with. It's going to be a time of peace. I've got my notes here. I'll look. It's going to be a time of joy. It's going to be a time of holiness. It's going to be a time of glory. Who's going to be glorified? God in his rightful place. He's going to be seen as the way he's supposed to be seen. There's going to be justice. None are going to be able to withstand against him. When, when there is wrong that's done, it's going to be dealt with swiftly. I get, I get it hurts my soul when I see people who've been sitting on death row for 12 years, 15 years. That's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. What about the families who are seeking justice for, for you know, a guy who raped their daughter and killed their daughter? 
that's not the way it's going to be in the millennial reign of Christ. There's going to be justice, and it's going to be swift, and Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron. There's also going to be instruction, and people are going to literally be taught by Jesus himself. I love this. There's going to be a reversal of the curse, and for, I mean, the lion's going to lay with the lamb. It's going to be a unique event. Kids are going to be able to go up and play with snakes. I don't play with snakes. I tell my children don't play with snakes. Not now. Maybe later, but not now. Sickness is removed. No more sore throats. There's going to be a healing of the deformed. And there's going to be maturity and longevity of life. Uh, Isaiah 65, 20 says, There shall be no more thence an infant of days, meaning somebody who is maybe 20, 30 years old, but they are, you know, act like they're five years old. We're talking about people maybe... Um, with Down syndrome, that sort of thing. And there's going to be no more of that. And longevity of life, people are going to live for a long time. And I've talked to a lot of folks, even older folks, who you would think, I mean, I'm a young guy. This is just my perspective, that when you get to the end of your life, I'm talking about the last couple years, that you'd say, yeah, I'm ready to go. But do you know, almost every time older folks don't say that. They say no, because they're young in their mind. Their body's not young, but they're young in their mind. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be a nice thing to be able to live a long time, especially under the direct rule of Jesus Christ. And of course, there is going to be reproduction by the living, and there's going to be a lot of children that are born during that time. So now we're caught up to our next lesson. That was the characteristics of the, of the millennial reign of Christ. And then tonight we are looking at, oh, I got my clicker here somewhere. We are looking at, the government, the government in the millennium. Good. Oh, I'm on the wrong slide. There we go. Okay, here we go. The type of government. The government in the uh, Messianic millennial kingdom will be a theocracy. Here's a verse for us, Daniel 7, 14. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Jesus Christ is going to rule. It's going to be very similar to the way it was back in the Old Testament where when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and God ruled. They did not have a king, and that was a better way than what they wanted. We see in the book of 1 Samuel how Samuel was a prophet of God and relayed messages from God to the people, and they weren't too happy with the way things were going. Like They wanted to be like other nations. I'm so happy that God's people are not like other people. And when we start looking at the way the heathen lived their life and start being jealous of that, we ought to be worried. Because God's way is the best way. And God was directly ruling for them, but they were not satisfied with that. And so they had kings that came into place. And I mean, as you can look, I think in the tribe of Judah, we looked at that Sunday in Sunday school in the tribe of Judah. Just in the uh, southern tribe of Judah, there was, I think, 20, it was 20 or 22 kings they had, and only five of them were good kings. I mean, how did that really work out? And then Israel was even worse. They may have had one. I mean, that's just terrible. It was a bad, poor decision. But what's going to separate this is that 
God is not going to, like in the Old Testament, maybe rule from afar to where his physical presence, you couldn't actually see him. Jesus Christ is actually going to be on the throne of David. And people are going to be able to visibly see him. And we do, by the way, believe in the visible return of Jesus Christ, not just symbolic. As a result, there will be perfect and complete justice for all sin, and sin will be immediately punished, as we looked at earlier in the characteristic of the millennium. So the government, as we look here, the city of Jerusalem is going to be the center of government. Isaiah 2.3 says, Many people shall go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be the center place of the entire world. And God specifically purposed that when he chose the Israelites as his people way back at Abraham, and he really dedicated that place to himself. And so it's going to be a, a key place during that thousand-year reign. Um, here's a verse I have for you. It says, verse uh, 23, I think, of the same chapter. It says, Then the moon shall be confounded, and the sun ashamed, when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before his ancients gloriously. Next we have David, along with former Old Testament saints, will be resurrected and in positions of leadership. I have some verses for that. Coming up here, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 39, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Jeremiah lived a long time after David, but he's writing in the future tense. So he's going to be resurrected. Ezekiel 3, uh, 37, 24 and 25 says, And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelled, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. We get the impression that Christ is going to rule and David's going to be kind of underneath him and, uh, you know, ruling. To what extent, I, I don't really, we don't really know by scripture, but he's going to have a place of importance for sure. We also see that the authority of the 12 tribes of Israel is going to be given to the 12 apostles. It says in Matthew 19, 28, and Jesus saith unto them, verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye shall sit upon the, upon the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribe, tribes of Israel. And the apostles for sure definitely have a specific place in the heart of Jesus and in a specific place of leadership. Um, in chapel today, I happened to talk about apostles and I told them what an apostle was. Some people have no idea. An apostle, um, most of them, 11 of them, are disciples of Jesus Christ, who they were his closest followers. Of course, Judas uh, betraying Jesus. He, of course, wasn't one of the apostles. And after Jesus ascended to heaven, they were referred to as apostles, not disciples. And of course, Saul, turning his name to Paul and of being saved, he was the other apostle. And what makes somebody an apostle, and specifically when we come to theology, and you're, if you see an apostle with a capital A, it's referring to somebody who has been directly taught by Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul, the apostle on the road to Damascus, um, that is considered that he is an apostle being directly taught by Jesus. And so there's some 
groups of Christianity out there that call their pastor apostle, that's not the same thing. It is not the same thing whatsoever. And so these apostles, the real apostles, had a special place in the heart of Jesus. And the church, of course, will be part of that as well. In some ruling sense, the church will have a part in the governing of the earth, Revelation 5.10, and has made us unto our kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. This verse comes from uh, the chapter about the elders and the opening of the, uh, who's worthy to open um, the, the seals. And of course, Jesus is the one who's worthy, and the elders are the ones who say this. And also, I believe it's Revelation chapter 11 when we see the elders casting their crowns before Jesus' feet. And of course, from that, we assume that when we get crowns for our rewards, we're going to be able to do nothing else than give them right back. Because had it not been for Jesus, we wouldn't have anything. And so by their example, we, we assume that we're just going to follow and do the same thing that they do. And so in this case, um, we believe the same thing, that we're going to be able to reign with Christ. You say, you say I thought when we, when we die, we're going to go to heaven. Yes, to be absent with the body is present with the Lord. During the tribulation is the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're given our glorified bodies. But we can't forget about the part where, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So wherever Jesus is, that's where we're going to be. And so when Jesus is on the earth, we're going to be right here with him. I guarantee you. Where is heaven, by the way? Wherever Jesus is. That's good enough for me. The government in the millennial again. So who are the subjects of the government? The first subjects of the rule of Christ during the kingdom will be the Jews and the Gentiles who survive the tribulation and enter into the kingdom in earthly bodies. Of course, right then is where we have the judgment of the sheep and the goats on Jesus' right and his left. And I believe that is Matthew chapter 25. I could be mistaken, but I believe that's where that is. And there were some stipulations that uh, Jesus had that determined who was a sheep and who was a goat. And, but we don't have time to cover that tonight. Of course, during this time, as I mentioned before, there's going to be children who are born, who are born uh, during this time. And if, with longevity of life, of course, parents can have more children and more children. And the children are going to have to decide for themselves if they're going to choose to follow Jesus Christ or they are going to reject him. Now, of course, any outward act of disobedience is going to be dealt with injustice because Jesus is ruling. However, there's going to be people who outwardly conform, but inwardly they do not. And in just a little bit right at the end, I'm going to, if you remember this, what we're talking about, people who are being born during this time, at the end of the lesson, hopefully I'll be able to expound upon that just a little bit further. So we've, we have the government of the millennium, and now we are moving into the fulfilled covenants in the millennial reign. There's a couple of in here that are kind of similar, but we'll go through them kind of quickly. This age, we will see a fulfillment of all the covenants that God made with Israel. Reformed theology believes that, believes that uh, God is done with Israel, and it's just the church now. And that's just not the case, because I believe when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. Yes, where there's some conditional promises that God made to Israel? Yes, absolutely. You can read about them uh, in the book of Judges. You can read about them in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Numbers. And if they obeyed God and did what he wanted, they were going to live in peace. And of course, that was a conditional promise. The Israelites chose not to do that. And so 
God didn't have to fulfill his end of the bargain. They kept going into captivity over and over and over and over and over and over again. They never had to go into the Assyrian captivity. They never had to go into the Babylonian captivity. But they didn't keep their end of the bargain. These things were unconditional promises. It wasn't based on from God to man. This was God informing um, specifically the first one that we're going to see is Abraham. Oh, I just went over this. Sorry. Let me skip through it. Why do we believe God's not done with Israel? Because every covenant God made with Israel has not been fulfilled yet. First one here is the Abrahamic covenant. Now, most of this have, has been fulfilled, but the promise of specific land has not. Here's the verse. It says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river of Euphrates. Has Israel ever occupied all that land and had it? No, they have not. I mean, not even close. They haven't. I mean, even since they had, even when Joshua led him in there, they, they pretty much generally conquered the land, but there was still heathen people who were living there. And of course, you even had the Philistines that were down in the five or six main Philistine cities that were down there, um, kind of halfway to Egypt. They never got all that land, and they haven't. And so, of course, there has been covenants that have been fulfilled. Um, some of them, that he made to Abraham, he says, I'm going to make of thee a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. All those things have come true. All the nations of the earth have been blessed. They have because Jesus Christ came through his seed. And all around the world, we have missionaries here, that nations all around the world are being blessed because the message of Jesus is helping them. And so that's true, absolutely. But the promise of land has not been fulfilled. Then we have the Davidic covenant. And the throne of David, David will be established forever, 2 Samuel 7, 13. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And as we know right now, there is no throne of David that is set up. Exodus 34, 23 and 24, I will set up, I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall... Uh, be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. This referring to the millennial kingdom, and I, the Lord, have spoken it. Next we have the Palestinian covenant. This is a promise of land and a people unto himself. Again, that's where the similarity is kind of with Abraham, but it says in Isaiah 11, 11, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. When the children of Israel went into captivity, the Assyrians came down, I believe 722 BC and conquered them. They went into captivity and they never returned back to their homeland. They never returned. And so there were, I mean, 10 tribes, really nine of them, because some of the Levites came back in the Babylonian captivity and the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, and there were some Levites who came back. But really, the other nine tribes, I mean, they're referred to sometimes as, as the lost nine tribes, the lost 10 tribes, if you will, of Israel. But God is going to restore all that. He's going to give them a land, and he's going to have all of his people. And of course, as we already mentioned, the apostles are going to rule over them. And he shall set up an assign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather 
together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Where are they? Who knows? They're probably in business, though. And the new covenant, this is in Jeremiah, promise of a new relationship with Israel. Behold, the days um, come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and from the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them um, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. A couple more verses in this same chapter that I have here. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. He is literally going to put a new heart in his people. When Jesus came to the earth the first time, he came unto his own. His own received him not. He was rejected. Generally, it's the Gentiles who have received Jesus. The Israelites have rejected him. But during the millennial reign of Christ, he is going to be one with his people again. They're going to see Jesus for who he truly is. Right now, they are deceived and they missed out. But it's going to be restored in the millennial reign. Just a couple more slides and we'll be finished. The importance of the millennium. Why is it important that Jesus Christ rule? Well, Jesus was promised authority to rule over the earth in righteousness. Psalm 2, 6 through 9. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree of the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for an inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break with them Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. That sounds very similar to the millennial reign of Christ, doesn't it? All of that listed there. And thou shalt dash, dash them in pieces. In Revelation 5, Jesus, again, is proclaimed as worthy to receive his inheritance. And this is definitely fulfilled. Uh, we see in Revelation eleven fifteen, and the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice in heaven. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So why is the millennial reign of Christ necessary? Why couldn't we just be ushered into heaven and he just we're just done with it? Why? Jesus must be, this is from uh, Ryrie's basic theology, Jesus must be triumphant in the same arena where he was seemingly defeated. The world looks at Jesus and they see a man who was defeated. But he's going to come back and Jesus is going to be victorious. And all the naysayers are going to know for sure that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as we finish up, after the millennial reign of Christ, how does it all wrap up? Just a few verses for you. This is the last slide right here. This is how it all concludes after it's over. Revelation 27, 7 through 10. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Up until this point for the thousand years, he's been held, chained up in a bottomless, bottomless pit, as the Bible describes. And he shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather themselves to battle, and the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And they went up 
on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Earlier in the lesson, I had you note that children were going to be born during this thousand year period. You know, I mentioned that they're going to have to make their choice, just like their parents made their choice. And while these generations and generations of people are going to be born, they're going to make a decision whether they choose to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior or they're going to reject it. And at the end of this millennial reign, Satan is loosed, and he is going to go out and deceive the nations, Gog and Magog. Uh, it's really referring to uh, heathen nations, heathen people. He's going to go out and deceive those people who are not for Jesus Christ, and he's going to gather them together, and they are going to try to storm Jerusalem and defeat Jesus Christ. Doesn't work out too well for him. This is a great point for parents who are struggling about maybe raising their kids in the right way. And maybe their kids go bad and they blame themselves for it. Sometimes, maybe that is the case. Sometimes it's not. The children that grew up in this environment could not have grown up in a better environment. Am I right? I mean, everything that was done was right. Sin was dealt with immediately. But even though they grew up in a perfect environment, they chose not to adhere to it. And so, what does that tell me? That tells me that we live in an imperfect world, doing our best, following after God, pointing children in the right direction. They're going to have to make their own choice. And don't sit there and beat yourself up if you've done, honestly, before God, the best that you can possibly do in God's grace to raise them. But there's going to be a great battle. And after this fire comes down and devours them, that's when we're ushered into the great white, we see the great white throne, and we see that the dead were raised and the sea gave up the dead and all that were in it, and so on and so forth. They stand before God at the great white throne. Judgment, and that's the final judgment before the unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire. Where are people going to spend eternity? I often hear say, well, you're going to be in hell for all eternity. Well, technically, technically, we're going to be in the lake of fire for all eternity because death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Hell right now is really just a holding place, like where the rich man is. Hell is a holding place for the unbelievers who have died, who are awaiting the great white throne judgment. And then they are going to be cast in the lake of fire. Then we see the old world is destroyed. We're going to see a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down. It's going to be great. It is going to be great. And for all eternity, we get to be with Jesus Christ. So I hope it was a blessing to you. Um, again, if you're uh, interested, definitely go back and listen to some um, of the other ones to get the full scope of everything. Also, just some great resources. You know, I don't claim to, to go through and kick every, all this out of here. I got, we have great resources. Pastor Lytell, of course, has tipped me off to many. Some I had from college. A few books that are just great. Um, Ryrie's Basic Theology, uh, Dwight Pentecost. Um, I think it's called The Last Things or something like that, The Last Things. Um, I used Elemental Theology by Bancroft, not my favorite one, but it's okay. And then I also like the, uh, a very simple one is Basic, I think, uh, Basic Theology for Today, and it's actually put out by Pensacola Christian College that our young people use in uh, class and is very easy to read 
and to understand. And so definitely, if you're interested in these topics about the end times, I really challenge you to get those books. They're just a great source. They're just rich, and you will not be disappointed. Let's pray, and we will get into our prayer time. Lord, thank you once again for being able to go over some of these things. Thank you that we know how this whole thing is going to end, that we don't have to worry about it. We know that you're in control and that you're going to make all things right in the end. And I know from here to then there can be some scary moments and worrisome moments, but maybe trust in you through it all, knowing that you're going to work it all out for the good. Someday you're going to be glorified as you should be. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.